how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? everybody this is Ryan and this is Louisa and you're listening to sober sex I made a promise to myself to stop not listening what it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality it started with putting down the substances really and starting to listen and the listening to my body has changed Welcome, friends, to Sober Sex. Salome Samuel is a person who does many things as a creative. She is a photographer, DJ, and music creator for global brands. As a financial coach, she takes hard-earned wisdom about managing finances and teaches clients how to use money as a practical and spiritual tool. Welcome, Salome! (laughs) Thank you so much. I feel like it's so interesting, right, to hear other people describe you. I'm like, oh, that that sounds so succinct. Whereas I'm like, I don't know, I do too many things and they don't make any sense together. (laughs) I went to your website. (laughs) (laughs) SalomeSamuel.com. It makes perfect sense. I love that. How do you how do you do all of those things at the same time? I mean, that is a great question. I think not well, (laughs) always. Um, Definitely not in the past, um, it sort of felt like I was just juggling too many things at once. But I think the reflection of the past year has allowed me to see like the connection between all of these pieces and slowly and like over time is kind of like the true answer where I was like, oh, I don't have to be pushing like 100% on everything. It's like, Mm -hmm. this section gets my energy and this gets my energy. And you know, just really realizing like, how much it's just like you only have so much capacity in different parts of your life, right? And so figuring out how to balance that is like my number one challenge. And I have not 100% figured it out, but I think I'm getting closer. Amazing. I only ask because um, I'm super curious because I also have a multitude of things that I do. And then I've I'm, sometimes I'm like, am I doing any of them well? But then just this idea of good enough, allowing myself to show up good enough, get the thing done show up as best I can is all I can do. And it's all anybody's actually, it turns out they're doing if they're just doing one job anyway. So (laughs) the pressure we put on ourselves to do like two or three different jobs, you know? (laughs) Yeah, 100%. And like on the very practical side, which I do sometimes tend to go to as like a Capricorn, but like, hell yes. (laughs) Oh my God, I'm surrounded by Capricorns. (laughs) (laughs) It's because we're such hard workers and we're so dependable. But um I actually started having like weekly accountability meetings with a friend, which like, which is very casual because I was like, I feel like I'm doing too many things and I'm like losing the thread. And so we worked together on like defining kind of like our bigger goals for our lives down to like, what do we want to accomplish this year slash like this month? And I feel like that has been like a really helpful exercise for me, even though I guess I also don't really view it as like a productivity hack or anything like that like blah I feel like that stuff is so gross but like, <laughs> it, it just feels like a really good way to like tune in like spiritually so to speak to be like oh this opportunity has presented itself to me let me like look back and see like how does this fit into like 
the goals that I have set for myself? Mm. And does it check off two or three? Then like, yeah, let's do it. And then if it's like, oh, actually none, then it's like, oh, whatever, forget it. Like, it's kind of nice. So just slowly and with intention, I guess, is the answer. Beautiful. I love that. Slowly and with intention. (laughs) No, it's fantastic. And also sort of when projects come in, because often people can see what you're doing and get quite excited about it, I should imagine actually thinking, well, does this really align with where I'm trying to take this? Or am I just sort of flailing about with my projects? And I think that's a really, that's a really good way to look at things. Louisa has a really, I notice like I'll often bring things to the table when we're in a creative discussion about, hey, let's do this, this. And she's like, hang on a second, but aren't we trying to more focus this? But I'm so distractible. And I'm like, let's do it all. <laughs> you know. And often it's not like appropriate, you know, because it's better to be more focused and targeted in that. Yeah, I feel like I am that person who's like, let's do it all. Or it's just like, react, react, react. (laughs) So like, it's just helpful for me, like, just like taking a pause, I feel like is so helpful in like every part of your life. But especially with this stuff, like, because yeah, stuff comes up and you're like, oh, I want to please people and I want to do this, or maybe I need the money. But then sometimes you're just like, okay, but like, let's actually like, yeah, see if this actually fits into like, what I say I want to be doing and who I say I want to be and also like just think about does it feel good you know like this is one of the notes that I had written down for this conversation but like I just think I've been spending a lot more time just actually like listening to my body and noticing like when opportunities have presented themselves that like on paper sounded good but I was like I don't know like something just feels bad like I just feel like this is not the thing and then it like reveals itself over time so like just taking that beat to be like, um, is this right? Like, is just really helpful. Oh my God. Relates so hard. Like even this week, like a business opportunity prevent presented itself. And like in the, in the meeting, in the conversation, my body kept, like, I felt like there was like a crushing down, like a cement ceiling was dropping from like my rib cage into my belly. Like, no, no. (laughs) And in the meeting I was ignoring it because I was like, maybe I just hate the future. (laughs) But then I like, I, Shout out David, the therapist, um, like who doesn't, who's not allowed to listen, um, like unpacked it. So that like the, the opportunity of like, what if I didn't have to ask questions? Like if I didn't have to justify saying no, and if I could just really listen to that loud voice within me. And like, as I accepted that, it felt like that cement, that block of cement that was kind of like pressing down, like exploded into glitter. Like my body oh, was like so happy and relieved. It was like, <laughs> There's like an office party happening, like with it, like, and it's crazy because I think it takes so long to be able to, like, as you said, like take a beat and learn how to kind of pause and listen. Because, like, where in society are we ever taught to do that? <laughs> They're like, say yes, yes is the answer. I'm like, no, 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 exactly. And like, this is another, I mean, like deeper bit, but like actually being in tune with yourself and your wants, like is not what capitalism wants, right? Like it wants you to feel miserable and unhappy and dissatisfied because then you'll fucking buy things and you'll like work for someone you hate and like just all of this stuff. It's crazy. And so I feel like that has been such a hard lesson for me. And like, I feel like I'm only just getting to the point where I'm making more informed decisions that are actually in line with what I want. And this is at like 34 years of age. So 
I love Salome. <laughs> yes, amazing. Amazing. Oh, we forgot all of our first questions. We had some oh, yeah. questions. First of all, <laughs> let's backtrack. Um, well, now, what are your pronouns, Salome? They're she and her. Us too. Grand. And how are you doing today? You know, I'm pretty okay. I feel like right at this moment, I'm feeling good. So I'm grateful for that. Sweet. And where are you? I am in my apartment in Brooklyn, New York, (laughs) USA. You touched on it in the idea that you've had kind of more time to like reflect and focus on like intention in your work, but how has the pandemic been treating you as a whole this year? I mean, there's just so much in there. It's like where to start, but I do have some notes here. (laughs) Beautiful. Oh my God. You are a Capricorn. I love that. I know I need it's like the planning makes me feel safe I guess but um, (laughs) I think you know along with everyone else there were parts of it that were like incredibly stressful like I had my job was uncertain for like the first big chunk of it so that was just like a daily weekly thing that I feel like now I've sort of suppressed but like I you know I like wasn't sleeping like it was just really bad and I do a lot of freelance work on the side which is probably a third of my income, if not more. And all of that is like related to in-person events. Mm -hmm. So that sort of vanished overnight. So it was like, okay, you like maybe don't have this job. You're definitely making less money, even once your job has proven itself to be secure or secure-ish, you know? Um, And then beyond that, I feel like it just gave me so much time to really think about how my life was before and how many things like we're not going in the way that, or we're not like treating me in a good way. Like, I feel like I was mistreating myself. Like Mm -hmm. I was working way too much. Like I have a full-time job. I was like freelancing on the weekends involving like traveling, sometimes like DJing. So there's like late nights and it's just like, it was insane. Like when I think back on it now, I actually don't understand how I was able to do all of that. I think I was just exhausted, frankly, for like several years and like my body was deteriorating. So like, Mm -hmm. I just, you know, it gave me an opportunity to think about like, what do I want my life to be like moving forward? That definitely involves working way less, like spending way less money on all of the stuff that I feel like I needed to like cope with the stress and the exhaustion and all of that stuff. Um, And I also started to feel like, you know, I think we're sold in America, this idea that like full-time employment is like stable and secure. And like, that's the only way you can do it. And like being a freelancer is like risky and crazy. But then I was like, well, the only real way that I can control how much money I make is if I work for myself. And so like that just started to be a thing that, I was moving more towards, and I know we'll talk more about this later, but I think like doing that and doing the work that went along with that also like related to this podcast really like forced me to reevaluate like my relationship with like substances and like working and all of these other things that I feel like I was doing to kind of like numb out my feelings. Oh my God, that's so fucking on point and like relatable. Um, And kind of speaking of that, it seems like you've been doing a lot of kind of transformation, like as we mentioned, kind of intentional and reflective around your personal business slash businesses this last year. And like, would you mind kind of talking about how that's unfolding and how it feels? Yeah. So, I mean, you and I obviously met each other through 
through the coaching work that I have been pursuing and, you know, through a mutual friend and it was, you know, I felt like I was doing that as sort of an experiment because I didn't even know. I was like, I think this is something I want to do, but I'm not really sure. So I guess I'll try it in this sort of um, experimental phase where like, I'm going to charge people really little amounts and just like see how it goes. And, you know, I found out that I did really enjoy the work, but that you know, financially, it just, it didn't feel super sustainable for me at the rate that I was charging. So then, you know, through a series of circumstances, which I think are like fate, or maybe like things were just showing up at the right time. But like, I had a friend who started working with um, this like business coach, but she refers to herself as um, a money witch. And like, <laughs> that's so that. sick. And so my, street. my friend who's also like incredible in a lot of other ways, but like posted this like posts on Instagram that was like, I've been working with this person. Like, here's how like this work has transformed me, like all of this stuff. And like, I was in the photo with them, like tagged. And I was like, this just could not, it just feels like this has fallen into my lap. So I was like, wow, crazy. Like this woman is a coach. She's like helping entrepreneurs who tend to be either like female, non-binary, like queer to like make as much money as they deserve, like all this stuff. But also like she is working in the business space that I'm trying to work in. So I was like, wow, this feels like so divine. Um, so I started working with her and her name is Des Davis. So shout out to Des, the rich Des Davis, she's, money witch. She's, <laughs> money witch. She is incredible. But um, yeah, I feel like I don't think this is like a, a thing that is unique to me, but I think um, making that sort of decision and like to start a business on your own, especially one that is directly related to money, like just brings up so much stuff. <laughs> and I was not prepared. <laughs> like, I think it's kind of, I mean, I guess it's all everything. You can never be prepared for like these big transformations in your life. But I feel like it was the same as like when I started therapy where I was like, yeah, here are my problems. Like I get it. And then it was like, Oh <laughs> shit, you don't know how deep uh, this stuff goes. So like in working with her, I just realized that like there was so much stuff. Like I had so many issues around money still that I had to confront. And I actually, even now that we're past our like working container, I've had even more realizations where I was like, maybe this business overall is just a coping mechanism for like me to feel more in control. And like, I'm afraid to charge a lot of money. Like, what does that mean? And like, what does that mean as a woman? What does that mean as a black woman? What does that mean as a person who is like trying to like resist capitalism, who wants to work with people who don't have a ton of money, but also like trying to value my own time and sustainability. Like it's a real, just like, mind fuck and like I just realized like how much how many like limiting beliefs and like hang-ups I had around the whole thing <laughs> so mm. I'm not saying that any of those things are solved <laughs> but I think that it's really pushed me a lot farther forward um it was sort of like it's just really interesting right to like I feel like the beauty of coaching is that I think that everyone can benefit from it. And so like, even if I as a coach can recognize when like someone else is doing like really negative self talk, or like has all of these things, it's just so hard to do that for yourself. Mm -hmm. So just having an outside perspective, and like giving me some frameworks that I hadn't really considered, like, 
I just realized I had a lot of guilt around spending money on myself and like investing in myself and like all of these mm. things that I don't think I would have felt were true because I was like, well, I'm still doing them and like going on trips and doing et cetera. But like, I just realized that there was so much that, yeah, I had to release, but I could talk about this <laughs> forever. God, no, that's so fascinating because one of the reasons I was super stoked to have you on the podcast, apart from Louisa raves about you from the minute she started working with you, um, was to talk about sort of like how money is a, can be this mirror and where is the segue between money and intimacy? Because it sounds like you becoming a financial coach and your evolution within that made you question how you were using money in an intimate way. And one thing that I had to work really hard on with um, becoming a coach as well, and it's just so nice to be chatting to another coach about this as well, is, you know, about charging and doing all of these things. You realize like this under earning thing comes up in us where we're like, I don't feel like I deserve it. And I've gotten so much free help. And how dare I walk into this space being like, I can help. And But overcoming that is so rewarding. Have you found that? Um, yeah, I think I'm still maybe a little bit in the middle of that, but like, I do feel like I at least feel more like centered and confident in like sort of saying these are my prices and like not backing down, but like, yeah, it's really tough. And I think, you know, I think everyone has their own like personal baggage and trauma around money. And like, I certainly do. Um, but I think I also had just been living and I mean, you know, it's like the chicken versus the egg. Like, I feel like I had been in a a lot of jobs that I didn't feel paid me as much as like I maybe deserved. Um, and so, but it kind of became this sort of like vicious cycle where I was like, well, I know that that's not true and maybe I deserve more, but like I have never seen proof of that. So like, how do I like believe in this thing that I've never seen? Mm. Um which I feel like is really tough, but I do feel like I'm definitely on the other side and feeling like way more, yeah, way more like rooted in my self-worth than going into this. <laughs> Amazing. And what do you think about this like concept of money being kind of an intimate object and a mirror around how we treat ourselves? I don't know. I've never really thought about it as like an intimate object. I get that it, it definitely gets into intimate and emotional territory because I feel like money is one of the few things that affects basically every single aspect of our lives. And I've definitely said this to Louisa, but like money is just a tool, right? And it's like, it affords you like all of these different opportunities, but there are so many emotions that are layered on top of every single financial decision that we make, which is actually crazy if you think about like how many decisions you make a day um, and just how many feelings you have about it. I think that it can certainly be something that brings you closer to people, but it can also be like a really big divide, right? And so it's just so complicated. And I think that's why I find it to be such a fascinating subject because I do really feel like it's the thing that impacts everything in our lives, both practically, but also like it just unveils all of the layers of everything that we've been taught sort of underneath it. It's interesting that you say that like in terms of layers, because I think that so much of the the feeling of doing work with you in this specific area felt a lot like kind of diffusing bombs. Like it felt like kind of 
snipping away connections that were no longer useful, but like all of the kind of um, self-talk or shame or like vagueness, like my shit is that I won't, I won't look because I'm too kind of freaked out by it. (laughs) And like, um, and it, then I would kind of get paralyzed and feel uncomfortable around things like taxes or, you know, like just having any awareness of like what money was going where or doing what. And so it was really helpful to kind of like carefully and gently, like kind of dismantle all those old ideas. And so, so it was possible to actually like have transparency, have awareness and use money as a tool, which of course, like, you know, as you were saying to have accountability and kind of set goals, like that transforms relationships, you know, because then it can like, it's possible to talk about as opposed to just kind of have like weird expectations. And I know it's, it's only kind of occurring to me now, but so much of the kind of negotiating process or like communication around consent and just like intimacy relationally, like I know from my romantic relationship kind of post our work together, it was much more clear and easy, like not necessarily super simple and and like feeling great, not my favorite thing to do, but much easier to kind of be like, these are my goals. This is what I want my future to look like. How do you feel about that? What are yours? You know, Mm -hmm. when prior that was like an unthinkable conversation, like way too loaded, way too scary, too many feelings. Thinking about it made me feel like I was going to puke and die. (laughs) Yeah. And that's not an uncommon feeling. I mean, statistically, money is the number one issue in romantic relationships, like Mm -hmm. period, which like says a lot. Right. And like, I think so much of it is because it's this thing that we're afraid to talk about. Like it's more taboo than sex. It's more taboo than like all of these other things. And so I think if you can start to open up that level of like vulnerability and conversation, it, it seems only natural that it opens up other things, but it's really, uh, it's so tough because everyone, you know, in life, right? Like we're all just like bumping up against each other's traumas to begin with, but, but then, but then when comes, <laughs> exactly. But then when it comes to money, it's like everyone is coming from such a like deep rooted place of childhood and like understanding of what money means and the significance and what's like the right thing to do versus the wrong thing to do and shame and guilt and like all of those fun things. So then when you like get to the surface, it's like, it doesn't make sense why like you're behaving this way or you're behaving this way until you actually like, take a step back and are like, okay, well, like, what were your parents doing? And like, how did you feel when you were a little kid? And like, how do you feel now? Like, um, yeah, so I just feel like it's another layer of like, emotional complexity that that needs to be explored to have healthy relationships in every realm of our lives. Totally. And what you were just saying about family as well we grew I grew up with not very much money and then there was a sharp shift when my parents divorced and my mum got together with my stepdad but then my mum still acted like we didn't have money because she wanted like she needed to keep that up in a way and it was really confusing because I knew that there there was this 10-year period where we had a swimming pool you know but then before that there was like no heating and then so I have these like I noticed that I really oscillate between like spending keep holding back and I'm like I definitely have a and then sort of thinking when people were like how did you grow up I was like we were poor and it's like that's not actually strictly true there was a time but the the story was kept up for so long and so within that story there wasn't 
space for like healing and transformation that's what we get to do when we're adults yay but um <laughs> <laughs> not yay <laughs> trying to make it sound great but it's not um no it is mostly good but <laughs> it's such an interesting one sort of healing the generational financial story isn't it don't you think yeah absolutely and I relate to that so much as a person who like I mean I just felt like I didn't I wasn't like wanting for like food or anything, but like there definitely was not like extra money when I was growing up. And like, it's just so interesting how like everyone reacts differently. But I was just in this um, workshop about with a therapist, not like one-on-one, but like a class um, where she was just talking about like how these different mindsets can sort of show up as you're an adult. And I feel like it can be the one way where like, you go into extreme scarcity and you like become a hoarder and you like hate spending money and you're super stressed out, but it can also within the same person sometimes swing to the opposite pendulum where you're like, I'll never see this money again. So like, I have to spend it now. I don't want to deprive myself. I never want to go back to those feelings of deprivation. And I certainly have felt that way and where it's like, Oh no, I spent too much on myself. That's terrible. I guess I'll just like only eat rice and beans. And then like, oh no, should I like buy this thing? Like, and I've certainly have done that. And then even when it comes to like really practical things, like I spent so much time last summer, like agonizing over, I've probably mentioned this to you too, Louisa, like spending spending $600 (laughs) on an air conditioner and just being like, oh my God, I can't believe I spent $600 on this thing. Who do I think I am? Like so (laughs) indulgent, like what? That's so ludicrous. You can't afford this. But then like similarly, my logical brain being like, it's New York City. You live on the fourth floor. Your desk is next to a window. Like, are you never going to sleep again? Like that is so crazy. Crazy. Um, but yeah, it's really, I feel like just noticing those things and also just really recognizing how like natural and kind of like textbook responses they are. Like sometimes I think that can make me feel bad, but in this case, I'm like, oh, this is just like a thing that happens. And so like you can just notice it and sort of like release that guilt and just tell yourself that like you deserve to not be like sweating to death in the summer or like to have whatever you want, you know, as long as I'm not like going into debt over it like I think it's probably okay (laughs) yeah extraordinary like my experience in my marriage currently is that I've gotten there's been times where I've like hidden things which I think what Lou was saying about once you like sorted that out definitely like that affected your sex life right and I noticed there's moments where I'm like don't touch me and I'm like I secretly took a taxi (laughs) (laughs) and I don't want to say because you are more than me, even though we're married and everything should count as the same thing, but I'm harboring this secret taxi I took, which maybe there was a reason I needed to take it. I was like on the verge of a panic attack or I'm fucking pregnant. Or you're tired. (laughs) And I'm tired and fucking pregnant. So I didn't want to like not take a secret taxi, but it's really funny how I'm like, where does this sneak? I remember my mom's and my poor mom. Sorry, mom. I know you don't know how the internet works. I hope you'll <laughs> never find this podcast. But, <laughs> but there was, she would always be like, don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. Bear, like, which is such a weird mentality around me. Like, they're both like, attached to my body. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm> like, ah! <laughs> um, <laughs> 
but like always squirrel things away. So like if they leave, you're okay kind mm. of mentality. And mm. I don't want to fucking be like that. Like I hadn't, of course, there's an idea that I want to be safe or whatever, but I also just don't want to live in fear, you know, like yeah. going forward. Yeah. I mean, practically that's probably not bad advice, but like it, it probably also doesn't have to come with, with that energy. Like you can just say like, <laughs> I'm building an emergency fund, not like if you leave me, it's just like, just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like just in case. But like, yeah, I, I totally relate to that. I feel like the last like significant relationship I was in, like the guy made a lot more money than me and still does. <laughs> but I was making like less money than I make now and like had more debt than I have now because, you know, it was in the past. So yeah, I just feel like it, it just, you start to then, like, even though I don't think he was obviously like giving me a hard time about this, because that would be terrible. But I feel like I then was like, punishing myself for like, every decision that I made that I felt like yeah. wasn't the practical one, like going towards my debt. So similarly, like anytime I was like, Oh, no, I like took an Uber, like, Oh, I guess I should just like, whip myself about this mentally so that I like learn the lesson or like, going on a trip or like, buying new clothes or something it's just like I feel like there's this I mean this is like actually like a textbook thing you know sort of like black or white thinking but like I think especially I don't know I'm also an American so that's just my perspective but I feel like that's such an American feeling where it's like there's a right answer and a wrong answer and there's like nothing in between so like if you're in debt you're a bad person and if you do these other things you're being reckless like there's just no nuance (laughs) Wow, yeah. I never thought about that. Well, I think it is cultural and there is this whole idea that kind of goes back to the, you know, white supremacist capitalist patriarchy where like it makes it really impossible to win. I did. I'm getting getting really good at (laughs) saying those words in a string on the mic. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, like at the same time, it's true that idea, like if I feel constantly in shame and guilt around any spending or any debt, and then I also need to have capital to feel safe in the world. Then I'm kind of oscillating between those black and white thinking all the time, you know, and it's like, instead of kind of being able to have, like, as we said, like a diffused relationship with it, where it's like, I'm working to pay off my debt. I'm working towards financial goals. I'm working to build an emergency fund. And I don't have to like carry around a massive sense of like fear or shame or just like, um, for me, it's it's funny because it definitely goes into like flight, flight, freeze, and I definitely like freeze around it. I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm, not, I'm just not gonna deal with it, you know. So it's it's so good to have tools that kind of like dismantle the like thought fortress around that shit because it can be it's old, you know, it's super old, it's embedded, it's cultural and it's familial and it's personal. Yes, yes. And I mean, there's, yeah, so much of this stuff also, you know, is just like, like you're saying, like, there is just like, generational trauma around this stuff. There's like, gender trauma, there's racial trauma, there's just like, everything. And it's like, so deep. And I think like, sometimes I think it doesn't get, um, I think we don't really acknowledge a lot of that stuff and like how difficult and deep it can be. I think like there's this understanding. And I mean, I've had this conversation with people where it's like, well, there's just like the right thing to do. And so like, if you just do that, then it's like fine. As if like, you don't actually have to heal all of these Mm -hmm. things underneath to even (laughs) be able to do that. Like, and so that's, 
I mean, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's also a thing I was thinking about when, you know, I feel like the idea comes up a lot, especially because I have a lot of student debt. So like some people are like, I really regret it. And like, I would do something differently. But like, from my perspective, I'm like, well, I don't regret it because like it did afford me like connections and all of these opportunities mm-hmm. and like learning and all of these beautiful things. But part of me is also like, I just didn't even have access to the literal capital that is required to like see a therapist, do all of these things to be even able to think about how to think about money differently. So it's like, I don't know. I just, I just wish that this was a thing that we could talk about sooner because Mm. I think it would save people um, a lot of heartache. But again, it doesn't really serve capitalism's needs (laughs) um, if people are sort of not recklessly spending money. Um, But that's that's it. Or have any sense of freedom in this area, like, you know, like this thought fortress, which I just love that you so defined, Louisa, it's just amazing, um, around this stuff because it takes so much bashing down and all these little elements and it's hard work, like a lot of this stuff, you know, and if we're going to get any freedom from it, you have to do the bloody work. Exactly. And similarly, like, I think that there's such a narrative of like, you're either good with money or you're bad with money. And like, there's no way to switch between those things. Like before I started doing this work and before I'd even figured out my own stuff like I literally was like I am just bad with money like this is Mm. who I am fundamentally as a person instead of being like wait I actually haven't been given any of the tools or any of the knowledge so like how would I just magically be good at this stuff like it (laughs) takes work it's just like everything else in life like how do you know how to be in a relationship how do you know how to exercise how do you know how to like do anything right so yeah. It's wild. It is. Um, you have it been is. quite a staunch supporter of sober sex. We've seen you. Oh, <laughs> we love you. Thank you. <laughs> um, um, so the question that comes next is the traditional. Um, what were some of the earliest messages you received around sex and sexuality while you were growing up? To kind of Ooh. pivot into that. The help fun <laughs> one. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that money and, and sex and intimacy, I think it's all related, right? Because there's just so many layers of like, shame and guilt and not talking about it and bad feelings. Um, And yeah, that's kind of like what my experience was is like, you know, I'm first generation, I grew up in a single parent households with the the immigrant um, mother. So like, just a very, just very much a scenario where like, most things just do not get discussed. Like, deep emotional things. We don't talk about that. I think there's also like a generational divide where it's like adults talk about certain things and kids don't talk about certain things. So it honestly just like never came up. Like, I don't think it was until adulthood that we even had conversations that like lightly even touched (laughs) sexuality and extremely lightly. So I mean, I don't think I'll ever send this to my mom. So, but love you, mom. No mom's allowed. No mom's allowed on this podcast. (laughs) Or at least Um, not our mothers. Sorry, mom. Yeah. But so it just like didn't come up. But I also can recognize that, you know, my mom is on the older side. She's like 71. So it's like she was born in the 50s in another country. It's like, I'm not expecting her to be like, and then I moved to the West and like, I was just ready to talk about sex with my child. But like, I think then all I got was sort of like 
the, you know, the inherent message around that where it's like sex is a thing that we don't talk about. And then all of the message that you get in like American public school is like just so much fear and so much shame where it's like losing your virginity is going to be painful. Like you could get pregnant. You could get all of these STDs. You might be seen as a slut. Then you're like damaged goods or like people will just use you for sex and then leave you. <laughs> like, so I feel like I was so like, honestly, like paralyzed, I think with fear around a lot of that stuff where I was just like, oh no, it seems really bad. Like, I don't want to do like it. Not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like none of the conversation is like, hey, here are all of the positive aspects of sex. It was mm-hmm. just like bad, bad, bad. And obviously living in a you know, patriarchal society, it's like, you as women are bad. Like, you are the temptress who's, like, luring these men into, like, having unwanted pregnancies, like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm still, like, unpacking a lot of that stuff and sort of, like, yeah, in my 20s, I feel like I was just not super sober, right? And that's, like, kind of how I handled it. But, like, as an adult now, I'm sort of, like, oh, oh, it's maybe it's like, okay, if I'm like, an emotionally sensitive person who like, isn't into casual sex, like, why is that feel? Why does that feel like a default thing that I have to be into? Um, And, like, I need to actually feel really connected and like, safe with someone because of like, just who I am as a person, but also like my historical baggage, etc. And I just think that the overarching message or like how I interpreted it from society was like, you shouldn't even be having those feelings. So I feel like I was like, Oh, no, like, how do I suppress that? I guess I should just like, be drunk anytime I like, I'm going to try to have sex with someone because it's like too much to ask that someone Mm -hmm. is like, patient and like caring and compassionate. And that like having feelings is like, okay, I feel like that was one of my biggest, um, learnings as an adult I guess I was an adult then but like in my 30s was like yeah I'm just like sensitive and like that's fine wow yeah it sounds like you've done some really deep work around that stuff yeah I mean uh, (laughs) I feel like you're like yes (laughs) I mean I guess maybe this happens with most people but I feel like you know I just sort of hit um a really difficult point like at the end of my relationship with my ex and honestly at the end of our friendship where I was just like oh there's a lot of shit that I have to figure out and so I started going to therapy (laughs) which is like the best decision I probably could have ever made in my whole life but um yeah it's just taken a lot of time to sort of like undo all of those like wounds that are like coiled so tightly bravo for doing that And then not like carrying that on and setting yourself free in that journey. That's really, that's really powerful. How do you feel that um, sort of doing that work has affected your work as a creator? Um, I mean, I think it's just fundamentally affected who I am as a person, which I think touches everything. But I think that, you know, so much of, I guess I can talk about like what I'm doing now versus what I was doing before. But I feel like now just like, things that seem so simple, but were so difficult, like listening to my body, like knowing my worth, like valuing my time, like, and also just like acknowledging who I am as a person. And that like, some things that I may be perceived as like weaknesses, like being sensitive, etc, are not inherently that I think has just given me more of a sense of like, 
confidence and sort of like compassion, I think, because I'm like, I have been, you know, I have like my own wounds, but I know how much they've hurt me. And so if you just take a step and think about how like everybody has that, then like, I think it allows you to move through the world with a lot more care. And especially around the money stuff, like, obviously, like, that's huge, because I think so much of it for in the beginning, I was like, well, yeah, you know, like, you just like do this, and then you do that. And that's it. Like, the reason nobody else has done this is because they just don't have the information. And then I was like, oh, it's not just the information. It's like all of the feelings and everything underneath. So I think that I guess like being a person who is like, gone through some stuff, I think just makes me maybe like a more relatable person to have these conversations with. Cause it's like, I think that sometimes like people can have this perception where it's like, oh, you're just a person who's like good at this. Like that's the thing I've heard from some of my friends where they're like, oh yeah, you're so good at this. And I was like, yeah, but for like two years, like before this, I was a mess. So like (laughs) I can turn it around, (laughs) like you can turn it around too, you know? And then as far as like the creativity stuff in general although like I do also think that coaching is like a real creative act for me which Mm. didn't really occur to me until recently but like I think there's like um I think I was sort of always feeling like I was on more shaky ground and maybe that was a lack of confidence but I think I was you know I had this like understanding that I was good at things because of outside feedback that I was receiving, you know, from childhood to present. But I think because I didn't really on some level, like believe in it myself, I felt like I was just sort of doing it for the validation instead of now where it's like, oh, I can actually just feel really like rooted and grounded and do this thing for like the pleasures that it affords me and the pleasures that it affords other people, but not because I'm like, desperate to receive this outside feedback anymore which isn't to say that like I don't love obviously receiving positive feedback yeah I think I was sort of doing a lot of things out of um just kind of like habit you know where I was like okay well I went to school for photography so I guess I'm a photographer so I have to take these photos and I need to post them and I need to receive validation from them to like believe that I should keep doing this and you know it's the same with like the music curation stuff or the DJing stuff. Like I think for so long I had kind of like, I think this is maybe also like a common thing among like women and other sort of like marginalized people. But like, I think I always felt like I had to sort of downplay things that I was good at. And so I was just like, Oh, like, it's not that special. Like I'm just like picking songs or like, I'm just taking photos. Like anybody can do that. (laughs) And then But now I'm like, oh, this actually, like, I think it's just helped me feel more confident in, like, my own unique gifts and that, like, me as a person brings something to the table that, like, nobody else could bring. So I think, I mean, it sounds kind of corny, but it's like, I feel like now I'm just doing things because I want to do them and they make me feel good. And I don't always think that was the case. I think it's such a, like, that's, that to me sounds like a spiritual awakening. Like, I used to have this idea, especially kind of within sobriety, that, like, in order to earn the love of my higher power and also my peers, I had to kind of constantly be, like, being of service and on. And, like, I was somehow being selfish by doing things I actually enjoyed. And then, like, there was this moment of epiphany while, like, careening downhill, because I was 
really like about mountain running at the time. And I was like, every I'm obsessed with it. So every time I do this thing that I'm obsessed with, I'm like in self or whatever. And there was this like, it kind of felt kind of like a white light moment where it was like, no, like whatever the universe is, loves you when you do the thing that you love because it is love. Like that's it. <laughs> that's the whole thing. You know, like that's the, like, it loves love because it is, because it is love. It doesn't need you to be a good dog in order to love you. Like it loves you because it's love. And when you do what you love, it like it pleases God, whatever. And it sounds like you kind of like embrace that. You know, it sounds like you um it's like it's within you. You know, it's not a question of like validation or merit or should like that it's actually kind of this is the this is the shift, right? That like it's the same thing that allows me to use money as a tool as opposed to kind of like a, like capitalist mind fuck, you know, it's cause it's like, it's just energy. I don't have to take it too personally. Like it doesn't have to be about like the whole pathology of the bullshit. It can be just like mm-hmm. kind of go in, in flow as opposed to like kind of gnarly attachment shadow shit. Yeah. And I think like that actually made me think of like, you know, for me, I feel like so much of the stuff that I was doing was so wrapped up in money, because I was coming from a place of such scarcity, both like mentally and practically that it just felt like I got to a point where every single creative thing that I did, aside from like cooking food, I guess, like had become monetized and was like this thing that I was doing for money. So it started to like, extra feel like I wasn't even doing it for fun. So I think like, that just really sifting through all of that was like a lot. And it's actually is like kind of, it makes me sad, right? To like think about it in the past where I was like, oh yeah, like I got paid to like play music in public, but I was like tired or sick and like didn't want to be there and just felt like I needed to do it because like of this like looming debt or like paying my rent or whatever. And like, it's just a, it's just a bummer. And I just wish that like, I don't know, I wish it didn't have to be that way, but, but I am happy that I think I feel grateful in a way that, you know, I've been given a lot of time and I guess we all have to, to reflect on some of this stuff and to think about, yeah, just, I feel like everything, the biggest shift for me has just been like the intention behind why I'm doing things. Like, I feel like I'm doing all the same things, but like, I'm actually just doing it for myself or because I want to. And if people want to pay me, like, yes, that is a lovely bonus on top of it. But I also get to decide how much is that? And like, when do I want to be paid? And when do I just want to do something for fun? And like, yeah, it's just like, it just makes you realize that like capitalism is just, it's just wild. (laughs) Truly. Not the good kind of wild. No, No. (laughs) the bad kind. (laughs) Do you have any practical wisdom about how to talk about money in relationships that can be romantic, sexual, family, business, or friendships, et cetera? Hmm. I mean, I think that at least, you know, I'm certainly not an expert. And then there are people who definitely do this work, both like financial therapists and, you know, regular therapists. Um, But for me, I think like the biggest awakening that I've had, at least in recent times, is that it's just, 
hasn't ever been as big of a deal as I thought it was going to be. Like, I just felt like I built up so much fear in my head where I was like, I can't have the conversation. I can't have the conversation. So I guess I'll just like fester for a year and just feel like garbage. And then like a two, like a year later, realized that it was just like a 10 minute conversation was super easy. So, <laughs> yeah. so it was like classic, classic procrastination. Um, but I think I've just been realizing that like leading with vulnerability and compassion will just get you a long way. And this is obviously also related to coaching, but like with my friends now, at least the ones I feel close to, it's like, if anyone actually anyone period, like if they were like, how much money do you make? I'd be like, okay, I'll tell you. Or like, I would ask them or just be straightforward about like the amount of debt that I had, because I think like I've just reached this point in my own journey where it's not to say that I don't have any feelings around um, money, but like a lot of the numbers I'm like, the, like they're just numbers. Like it doesn't actually right. like oh, say true. anything about who I am as a person. So I think it's just led me to having more open conversations with people about salaries, like with family around, like, especially like my mom about like, is she going to leave me her house? Like, what is, what financial state is that in? Like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like you get it. And then as far as um, romantic relationships, I mean, I haven't really been in one. I feel like I went through this pretty big transformation, like after my last relationship. And while I think there were a lot of great things there and it didn't feel like it was, I mean, even though it did feel imbalanced in some ways, you know, there was a lot of generosity, but I think in any future relationship, I think I would just talk about it more. And like, I've only really, I only really started like dating again, like a few months before the, the pandemic, but like any pandemic dates that I've gone on, I've definitely have talked about it with people. Like if you are going to tell me that you have student loans, like I'm going to ask you how much <laughs> and like, I'll tell you how much I have, but I just feel like I just, I guess it's just like an openness to it. Mm, um, totally. And I know that everyone, you know, I guess I'm also lucky in that, like I have very understanding, like family members and friends, and it's maybe not as complicated of a dynamic as it potentially could be. But you know, there are definitely like more and more books that are coming out about those topics, like how to talk to your parents about like health and retirement and how to talk to like your partner about money. And I think that I think that all of that stuff is great. Um, yeah, and I just think like being sensitive to like the fact that you know, like I was saying, everyone has so many layers of baggage underneath all of this stuff. And the more you can try to understand that stuff, the more you can understand like the surface level behavior. Yeah. And how people kind of use it as a a weapon in families, like held it over each other as well, I think it's really interesting. I definitely, definitely like make, when I got sober nine years ago, whenever it was eight and a half, nine years ago, making that decision about that nobody gets to like hold money over me anymore, you know, because I definitely felt like it was something because I would keep asking for handouts to get bailed out of certain situations that when I got sober, I just, I didn't want that anymore because it was like trapping me in a cycle. And I think a lot of people can feel that, you know, about it's just not worth it. Do you know what I mean? We think it's just money, but it's not just money. It's like so much more. No, it's never, it's never just money. And I think, you know, the flip side of that is also starting to realize like what you want your own rules to be about that for yourself. Like if you feel comfortable lending money to people, like a lot of people always say like, 
don't lend money you like can't afford to give away <laughs> because like oh, yeah, you, yeah. you might never get it back right and then it, it like destroys families it destroys friendships it destroys relationships so yeah just sort of being like mindful being like what are my own boundaries with money and like what do I feel safe offering and receiving you know but it's tough these are hard and I, conversations. And I think I, it's oh. it's so valuable to be kind of doing this work in a moment where like so many of our futures are super kind of, I mean, I'll speak for myself and my industry are so unknown, you know, but to, just because for instance, like the off, the offers we've been getting for as a band or as a DJ set for like 21, 2021, 2022 are like literally a 10th of what they were last year you know which is super sad but at the same time it's like well we haven't had any gigs <laughs> for this whole year like do you want to do this because you love it because you're excited to play or do you want to do this because like there's money involved because there's really not that much money involved and you haven't been actually like earning an income from this specifically outside of kind of like government grants or whatever you know so it's like it's kind of questioned integrity of like why are you in this because for a while it's probably going to be a similar situation and there's a lot of freedom there especially after kind of having done like some work with you the work with you around like what's necessary how do I get to the goals I want to set what does an emergency fund look like what's the difference between a slush and a sinking fund if you're interested in these questions Ooh. you should totally talk to Sullivan. <laughs> But can you just tell me quickly, because I like both those words. Yes. So, I mean, an emergency fund is something that you would use in an absolute emergency. Like if your pet got sick or if you lost your job or if you were in a car accident or whatever, like actual emergency. So in theory, that's like your bare bones expenses that you need to live. Like maybe it would be your rent and groceries, but not like your HBO subscription or something, but every person that's like, I need ice cream and a burger. Yeah, like but, I need it. It's also, not a mud. <laughs> yeah. That's not, that doesn't count as an emergency, but if in a period of unemployment, you want to be able to afford ice cream and a burger, then, you know, you just pad that with extra money. And so like, generally the experts say the experts, are the, expert. the people, <laughs> people say that um, it's like, that's three to six months of expenses. But, you know, as the pandemic has shown us, I think for a lot of people that are in more vulnerable positions, whether that's people who are artists work for themselves, etc., like a year's worth of expenses is maybe that, which is a super daunting feat. Like I am still in the process of building my emergency fund. So like, I'm not here to tell you that it's easy. It's fucking hard, but like, it's a good idea to at least have three months of emergency money saved at the minimum, just because especially in America, I don't know how things work in France, but like, you just don't want an emergency to have to be something that you put on a credit card. And then you can just like really fall down a dangerous spiral because like those interest charges are crazy. And then beyond that, a sinking fund in theory is like something that you definitely know you're going to spend money on, but it's maybe not an every month thing, like something that wouldn't go into your budget every month. So like good examples are things like car insurance, because sometimes taxes, um, if you want to go on a trip, you know, you might be setting a little bit aside every month, but you're only going to take one trip a year. So it's kind of just like building up these buckets or if there's something else that you just really want, like a new saddle or like to like have orthodontia or something like that's it. Um, so for me, it would be like, okay, orthodontia. And then for someone else, it might be something else. So it's kind of like these 
shorter term savings, but things that like you still kind of need to plan for where because you know, if you don't plan for them, they're not going to happen. And then a slush fund, which is like a thing that only occurred, like I learned about while we were working together is sort of like if you are working with a more irregular income, like let's say you are a freelancer or an artist or a musician. um, It's just kind of like a little bit of buffer money that you might keep in an account to sort of like regulate the the variability from month to month in your income. Hmm. But also that's like not a bad idea for even a person like with a salaried job like me, like I'm trying to work towards having a little bit extra because sometimes it's like, yeah, your summer electricity bill might be more or like you might need to like pay for something you weren't expecting, you know, or you get that annual charge or like your health insurance goes up or whatever, you know, it's just like, Mm -hmm. it's all just extra money, but just like (laughs) intended for different reasons. So like in different places, ideally. Love it. What would you say to your younger self if you could give your younger self any advice about this stuff? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I sort of touched upon this a little bit, but I think, you know, there's all like the practical things like start saving, start investing a little bit earlier. Um, But, you know, like I said, in reality, there are so many things that had to happen for me to get to that point, like being able to take care of my mental health, actually making enough money to save. Um, So like, the real thing that I would like to say to my younger self is just that, you know, life is long, and like, you're gonna make financial mistakes no matter what, but there are very few that you cannot come back from. So just like, keeping an open mind that like any situation you're in isn't permanent and you know like the best time to start is now oh that's beautiful i wish we could all go back in time and you could have that chat to us all (laughs) oh my gosh probably would have saved like so much heartache right I don't know if I would have listened. I'd just be like, yeah, whatever, savings for losers, bye. <laughs> yeah, probably not. I think it's hard to I think it's hard to see outside of like tunnel vision, especially when you're younger. Like I was like, future me, like what present me needs to like eat food and drink beer or like whatever I was doing. Yeah. But- what do you mean having an emergency Slushed fund? fund. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just kidding. No time like the present. Um, thank you so much, Salome. We love you. Now, lightning round. Don't think, just answer. What's your favorite snack? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, popcorn? Oh, what yes. kind? Like, I'm kind of basic. Like, I would make it myself, like, with olive oil and salt or truffle salt if I'm feeling really oh, fancy. Oh, my God. But actually, like, I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a huge snacker. But, like, I don't know. Something chocolate or something, like, salty. Oof, love it. Love it. What is your ideal animal to have as a witch's familiar? Oh, my gosh. Um, I think when I was younger, I thought – like my friend's cat was my familiar, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess like in practicality, I mean, I don't know why this has to be practical. practical I guess I'm just thinking that like they are living with me on land. Um, probably like a dog or something. Mm, Definitely. What kind of dog? (laughs) What kind of dog? Um, I don't know. There's so many dogs that I love. Like maybe like a little Sheba mix or something. Oh, nice. Something nice. I could like pick up. 
<laughs> yeah, but also could like defend you. Yeah, yeah. If- could like bite someone if it needed. Yeah. To. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> when I was thinking about that question, I was like, mine would be a horse. But as a DJ, it's difficult to take horses on airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only place it's difficult to take a horse. Uh, only. Like, the only one place. To, like stand outside the porta potty at a festival, like, oh, yeah, I'm waiting. <laughs> like, yeah, I like, know. When, here we go again. When people are like, what animal would you want to be? Like, I've always said an otter, but like, oh, I don't know. Oh. But I feel like an otter wouldn't want to like not be in water so that just feels kind of mean to the otter right limiting and otter but that's unless maybe it can maybe it like hangs out in the bathtub or something like when i'm at home like i don't know multiple baths bathtubs love it yeah (laughs) yeah in this imaginary future i'm i'm wealthy and have multiple bathrooms (laughs) i mean it's like a bath in every room you have an otter as a witch is familiar so anything's possible yeah. Um, so we know your astrological sign from the beginning of the, the, this conversation. Do you believe the hype? And if so, what makes you a Capricorn? Do I believe the astrological hype? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um. I actually. What's your rising sign? Um. It's a Taurus, and then oh. my moon is in Scorpio, which you know accounts for my deep emotional sensitivity and um, secrecy. So. Um, do I believe the hype and what makes me a Capricorn? Um, yes, I believe the hype. I feel like my Capricorn nature just comes out in being like really prepared and ambitious and kind of like stoic, I guess. Um, which also has its downsides, right? Because I think it can also come across as sort of like unfeeling and sort of unemotional and I think that's where my my Scorpio moon really comes in to just be like nope we got both like on the surface you're like grounded and have it all together but underneath it's just like a bucket of tears (sighs) very relatable (laughs) very relatable what turns you on oh my gosh um I feel like well, my love language is words of affirmation. <laughs> so oh. people saying nice things to me, but actually like as a single person who like would like to not be single in the future, I feel like the thing I've been like fantasizing about more than like actual sex, whatever that means, is like um just like being touched in like a tender way. Like sort of like Foot touch rest. Not even necessarily, I mean, yes, foot rubs, but I mean, the way that like someone will just like touch you as they're walking by, like if you're involved with them, but it's not necessarily like initiating sex or anything. It's just like intimate touch. Mm. That's so nice. So wholesome. (laughs) (laughs) So wholesome. I love it. Louise is like foot rub. By the way, do you guys get foot rubs? I mean. Oh my gosh. Not like Aris was good at that. Really? I place yeah. my feet <laughs> every time we watch television. I put my feet directly in Seb's lap. <laughs> like, oh hi, my God. it's me. <laughs> I'm here, and sometimes he picks up on it, and sometimes he just like puts his hands on my feet, which is still nice. But yes, yeah, huh. I, I think to try this, you guys. You should I've try. Never it. Done that. I mean, you're already locked in, I guess. But for for me, I'm sort of like, I my ideal would be to be with someone whose like love language for giving is touch. And also mm. words of affirmation. Both are important. Would just do that for me. <laughs> are we soulmates? Are we the same person? Soulmate? I love you so much. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's all happening. You guys. What do you love? Oh my gosh. 
so many things, music, food, my community, nature, my family, I guess they're part of my community. Um, I don't know, you guys for this conversation. <laughs> um, I'm having a great time. I want you to be a regular on our show. Oh my gosh, I would be happy to come back. I love talking about this stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I love a lot of things. And like, again, I just feel like sometimes I veer on being like, pretty corny which is weird because I'm also kind of cynical but like I don't know I just feel so grateful I feel like I've been such a lucky person in my life and like I'm just super happy to be here oh thank you you know what I love about you having just met you for this last hour only one hour and four minutes is that your authenticity in your joyfulness it doesn't feel corny in the slightest it feels like grounded in realness and I'm like, this is my favorite kind of person to spend time with. Oh. You are my favorite. I'm so grateful to have met you. Oh my gosh, that is so nice. I'm gonna really, I'm gonna take that and, and think about it. Yeah, I, I would like to think that I'm a pretty genuine person, I guess. But like, I think again, you know, it kind of comes from like doing a lot of this work, right? <laughs> and thinking about why I'm doing things and saying things and trying my best to like only do things I believe in. It's beautiful to spend time with somebody who's like at ease in their vulnerability. It puts others at ease, I feel. I feel like this conversation could go on for weeks. Oh, thank you so That's much. That's why I'm like <laughs> sitting backwards in my chair because I'm not like, fuck, I need to be on it. I'm like, I'm in this. We're just all hanging out in the front room. Yeah, we're yeah. just we're just chilling. But yeah, I think that's I mean, I'm sure you can relate, you know, as a coach, but I think like I think that's a part of my that has always been a part of my personality, but I think that was a thing that I really underrated and undervalued like as a gift until I got into these spaces where it's like, oh, actually this is such a huge tool to be able to have like these really difficult conversations and so like being like a good listener and empathetic and all of these other things like, yeah, okay. It's like practical and like great in like a corporate setting, but like, it's actually, I don't know. It's, I think it's actually essential to the kind of work that I'm doing, but also maybe is like why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. I don't know. You know, it's, it's, tail. it's an asset and it's, it's a really rare quality. I think we think that everybody, I think when you're an empath, you, you just assume because you're an empath, everybody else is empathing out there and it turns out there's not that many of us <laughs> but it's such like a golden golden asset I think that can be used in such a when it stops fucking you over <laughs> you're like I feel everything all the time <laughs> she's in a bad mood he's in a bad mood why do I now I feel like I'm in a bad mood because I wasn't in a bad mood five minutes ago. <laughs> you exactly know? once you kind of like be like, okay, I've got to have boundaries, put my own oxygen mask on first, take care of myself, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. When you learn those crucial roles and like um, lines in the sand, I feel like you just become like you're in the matrix, basically. Absolutely. And I feel like, yeah, that is one of those things that, oof, before I really learned about boundaries, it was, it was just a huge liability, right? Where I was like, I don't feel safe. I'm like being hurt all the time and I can't seem to control like when it's happening. Um, but like, yeah, once I was able to actually be like, oh, wait, like literally, yeah, put your mask on before helping someone else, like protect yourself first at all costs is when I think I started to then really see it as like a gift. Yeah. Yeah. And what a gift it is.
Oh, Sam, mate, it's been such a delight to have you. Where can people find you on the World Wide Web? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, I don't have an official coaching website yet, but you can find yet. me on my personal website, which is salomesamuel.com. It's S-E-L-O-M-E, Samuel, S-A-M-U-E-L.com. And I'm on Instagram sometimes, but honestly, just the weekends for now at Danger <laughs> Dangerlome, which is, you know, the word danger and L-O-M-E. Beautiful. Thank you for being such a fabulous guest. Woo! Thank you for having me. This is, it's just like such an honor to have um, like vulnerable and frank conversations around really hard topics that I think we don't get to talk about. Fuck yes. Yeah.